0: I'm listening to the meaningful work meaningful life podcast the show that empower you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now I'm Francine Billy, your host and I'm super thrilled to bring you stories. Inspiration and strategies to get more meaning in your work and in your life, make more money, and lead a movement to change the world. I am a digital communication and personal branding strategist, business advisor, award winning author, and a speaker. I am on a mission to help professionals, corporate executives, and entrepreneurs to become leading voices in their field by finding what makes them unique with a renewed sense of identity, passion, and vibrancy to grow their business and career. If you are ready to build a meaningful personal brand to create a business or a career you love, I would love to hear from you. Book a strategic call at www.francinebelli.com call, that's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E, b-e-l-e-y-i.com slash call. Today I have a great pleasure to have on the show Kwame Christian, a lawyer and expert in negotiation and conflict management. He's the director of the American Negotiation Institute and is also a professor at the Ohio State University um, Morris College of Law the top-ranked dispute resolution program in the country, and Alta University's MBA program. He's also the author and uh, best-selling of the best-selling book, um, Nobody Will Play With Me, How to Use Compassionate Curiosity to Find Confidence in Conflict. Kwame is also host of a top negotiation podcast, a- Negotiate Anything. I am excited to have a top expert who will give us some Practical strategy to Negotiate Our Life Better for a Meaningful Life. Hi, Kwame. Welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Great. Tell us in your own words what you currently do and what your job entails. Yes,
1: yeah, so I'm the director of the American Negotiation Institute, and that entails traveling the country, teaching people how to negotiate and manage conflict more effectively
0: hmm. So where did your love of conflict management come from?
1: Yeah, this is this is a question I get all the time because it uh, it doesn't it's not obvious on the surface. So my love comes from my academic passion and my uh, my background in this, too. Uh, My personal struggles with difficult conversations. So going to school, my undergrad degree is in psychology. That was my first academic love. I love learning about um, human behavior and how the thoughts and beliefs influence that behavior. Uh, Because uh, growing up, I was always interested in the way that people think. So what is their behavior? What am I seeing? And how is that behavior impacted by beliefs and thoughts beneath the surface? And so that's why I studied psychology. And I wanted to be a clinical psychologist originally um, because I wanted to help people. And that's the way I thought it would be interesting to help people. And then I started to get into politics, learn more about politics. And I said, well, hey, if I were to become a politician, then I can help more people at one time. (laughs) So let's go politics. (laughs) And so that's why I I went to law school and and earned my master of public policy at the same time. But as I learned more about politics, I said, I do not want any part of this. This is icky. (laughs) I don't like it. Um, So really, when it comes to negotiation and uh, conflict management, it's all about the psychology for me. Mm. How do people think? What do they believe? how can i change that in a way that serves my business and um and can help to mend the relationship if it's a situation of conflict mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so actually um so i know that you know i i, I don't know what actually you've seen most people are uh, struggling with uh, when it comes to conflict management but actually you say somewhere that if you want to have personal and professional success, you need to engage in conflict. That doesn't seem to be something that people want to do, really. How how do we really, you know, how can we make this happen?
1: (laughs) Yeah, the, the reality is when it comes to these difficult conversations, It's uh, not a question of whether or not we do it. It's a question of whether or not we do it well. They're going to happen. As long as you're interacting with people, they're going to happen. And uh, the problem is, I think a lot of times people have that avoiding strategy. I call it a a hope-based strategy. When they (laughs) see a problem and they just say, well, I hope that goes away. (laughs) I'm going to sit here and just hope it goes away. Uh, So I I want to encourage people to be a a lot more proactive uh, when it comes to solving these problems and, and mending. The relationship. And I think that comes with a clear identification of what the opportunity is. Because with every conversation, there's an opportunity. So before these conversations, ask yourself this conversation is an opportunity to blank. It's going to be an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to help fix the relationship, an opportunity to make things better, to make more money, to communicate at a higher level. There's always an opportunity embedded within these conversations. And so when you have a clear, a signal and a clear identification of what's on the other side of the conflict, it will help us to move toward the conflict instead of moving away from it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get the intention of, yeah, you know, that you're going to go with uh, looking for opportunity, uh, you know, for that, um, you know, conversation. But when it gets heated, what are the tools? How can we, you know, navigate this difficult conversation? Because we, we might have the great intention, but what about the person, um, you know, who is uh, in front of us? How can we really make this like win-win in negotiation if we can ever do that, uh, win-win all the time actually.
1: Right. Um, The framework that I created um, in my book, Nobody Will Play With Me, is Mm -hmm. called the Compassionate Curiosity Framework. And so it is a three-step process. And step number one is acknowledge and validate emotions. Step number two is to engage in compassionate curiosity. So getting curious with compassion. And Mm. then the last stage is joint problem solving. Mm. And so with this, I wanted to create a framework where people could easily remember what to do because there are a lot of complicated strategies and tactics. But when you think about it psychologically, when you are stressed and your emotions are running awry and um, you have that stress hormone called cortisol that floods your system, you are not thinking at your best. You're not cognitively at your best. And so I said, I'm not going to give people something that I know they're going to forget.
0: (laughs) That's so. very wise <laughs> um, to not give people like uh, 10 steps of you know, something that they're going to forget when they are in a heated moment. But I'm really curious to understand this compassionate curiosity. Can you break that down a little bit for us?
1: Yeah. So step number one, acknowledge emotions. So when it comes to the emotional barriers that people are facing, one of the first things that they struggle with is acknowledging it. They want to be seen. And so usually if somebody's mad, there is a psychological need for the other person to appreciate the impact that this conversation is having on them. So even if somebody's trying to be stoic and hiding that emotion, there's benefit to saying, hey, uh, Francine, uh, if I were in this situation, I would feel frustrated. You know, so saying that and saying the emotion helps people because in order to either accept or reject the label, they have to think logically about it. Mm-hmm. And so, when somebody is very emotional, what you're seeing is that they're using their amygdala, the most primitive part of the brain. They're not thinking very clearly. Right. Yep. And so, what we want them to use is their prefrontal cortex, which mm-hmm. is located in the frontal lobe, which is more advanced. That's where we have logical thinking and the best versions of ourselves. The thing but be- that's interesting psychologically is that those different brain structures, the amygdala and the frontal lobe, they have an antagonistic relationship where if you're very emotional, you can't think clearly if you're thinking clearly, most likely, you're not very emotional. (laughs) Right. And so by acknowledging the emotion and saying, Hey, if I were you, I'd feel frustrated and then validating the emotion by saying it makes sense. I understand why you would feel frustrated. Then people have to think logically like, okay, What is the emotion? Is that the correct emotion? Is that really how I'm feeling? And now by identifying it, what happens is they start to calm down. So that's Mm. step number one. And then what happens is we go to step number two. Once we recognize that the emotional barrier has been overcome, we move to compassionate curiosity. And so this is the situation where we're trying to gather information. It's based on the light theory of negotiation. So for instance, imagine if you're entering a dark room, the lights are completely off. The first thing you want to do is turn on the lights. That's number one. (laughs) I don't want to run into something. I could hurt myself. I could run into somebody else and hurt them. There are different obstacles that are in my way that I simply can't see. So I need to turn on the lights. And in this metaphor, the equivalent of light in reality is information. So before we even start trying to persuade people, we need to gather information through asking questions during the conversation and preparing effectively before the conversation. And we temper that with compassion because if we ask questions in a way that seems aggressive, if our tone is off, then the person feels threatened and then it triggers their amygdala and now we're back to step one. (laughs) <laughs> so so we don't want that. So that's why I say it needs to be compassionate curiosity, not just uh, curiosity unbridled. And then the last step is joint problem solving. This is where now we have the information. We've overcome those emotional barriers. So now we're just trading proposals. This- this is where we try to have that win-win kind of negotiation. This is my idea. What do you think? Okay, what yeah. do you think? And we just go back and forth and we try to work together to create a deal that works for everybody.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you uh, one of the proponents of um, um, the theory who say that you need to have your own BATNA before you get into negotiation or you kind of co-create what, you, what is your um, living point at that stage? What, what, what's your thoughts?
1: You need to have a batna um so for BAT, batna means best alternative to a negotiated agreement yeah. um, for a number of reasons. Reason number one is just practically speaking um you are only as good as your best option you're only as powerful as your weakest option, right? And so in that situation, what we want to do is we want to make sure that going into this negotiation, we know what our alternatives are. Because if we are in a situation where we're getting a terrible, terrible, terrible deal, but it's better than the best have then we say this is the best deal I have I guess I have to go with it but if you recognize that you have other things on the table that are are beneficial that are better than this then it allows you to say no with confidence Mm -hmm. and it has that practical benefit but it also has the psychological benefit because if you do that analysis and recognize that hey I will survive if this deal doesn't go through. I have options. Then yeah. it helps you to be more confident. You of don't course. feel as needy during mm-hmm. the conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great, great tips, actually. Thank you for sharing those tips. So what do you like the most about your job? Tell me.
1: <laughs> I love when I'm, I'm talking to somebody and I see that aha moment, like, oh, I can do this. That's how I should do it. And then there there are levels to it too, because there's that initial, oh, that's it. And then I see people start to think back to different conversations that they had. I could have done this differently. Good. Yes. I want you to start to analyze it in this way, because I think the best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. And so equipping people with these skills puts them in a position to live the best version of their lives. Imagine yeah. if you're an employee and you're working really hard and you, you love your job and everything, uh, but you're, dif- you're, you're afraid of negotiation or you don't even know that you can negotiate. You might be missing out on, over the course of your entire career, conservatively, millions of dollars. Yeah, Billions just because you learned how to ask it doesn't even have anything to do with your level of competence on the job and your worth as an individual it is this simple skill that the majority of people are missing
0: yeah and this is like terrible that we don't get to learn this skill actually earlier in life and we have to figure out the hard way as we go actually (laughs) so what do you uh, like the least about this is there something that you don't like
1: you know, I think the toughest part would be this, the reality that in, in many ways, I'm blazing my own trail. Uh, there's no game plan that is set before me for what I should do or how I should operate. So it's completely self-driven, which is exciting, but also terrifying. Because mm. I look at my, my friends who are employees and working for somebody else, and it's, I feel like it is underappreciated when you can go go to a job and somebody tells you what to do and you know exactly what you're going to do in that particular day and you know that you will get paid as a result of it.
0: But for some people that's the definition of a prison. They don't like to be told what to do.
1: (laughs) Exactly and that's how it is for me. That's how it is for me because the thing is on my hard days, on the difficult days, sometimes I say to myself I wish somebody would just tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. I wish somebody would tell me what I need to do right now. Um, but that's also the fun of it, you know. Wow. They, with every um, risk, there's a reward, right? And um, it's the the when it pays off, when it works, when I have the satisfaction of seeing somebody's uh, like understand. When I get messages from the podcast listeners all around the world saying, hey, your podcast changed the way I see things. Every, every interaction I recognize is a negotiation. You've helped my relationships and you've helped me at work. So I appreciate it. You know, for those, those messages that I get, that's better than money for me. Yeah. You know, so it's those drops of um, appreciation and um, the pay, the monetary rewards, of course, when those come in, it makes it worth it. Um, but whenever there's a bit of a drought, either <laughs> those, that's when it becomes tough.
0: Yeah, I get, get it. Yes, totally. Yes. We all feel that way, right? When you work for yourself. So what was the job you wanted to do when you were kids? Were you thinking of becoming a top negotiator or what were you thinking of doing?
1: Yeah, I feel like the only time negotiation uh, came to my mind was in, in law school when I happened to take a negotiation class because I mm-hmm. saw psychology for the first time in what I was doing at law. I was like, oh, there it is. There's psychology. Um <laughs> But before, when I was younger, I I wanted to be a doctor for a while because my dad was a doctor. It's just what I saw. Um, And then when I got to school, I discovered psychology and I wanted to be a clinical psychologist, then politician. And I think this really is me circling back to the psychology side of it, because especially when I get the opportunity to work with somebody and coach them one-on-one, it's it's really using what I learned in psychology to help them to do better, because usually it's not a tactical or strategic problem. And I think that's the issue with a lot of negotiation trainers and people who do negotiation and conflict resolution workshops. The problem is that they look at it purely tactically. They say to themselves, okay, what are the strategies and tactics I need to employ in order to accomplish this specific goal? But I say it doesn't make sense to give recipes to people who are afraid to get in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. The issue is not strategy and tactic. The issue is your mentality. What's going on inside your head and why is that a barrier to you? And so once we uncover that psychological barrier, now it frees you up to actually have the confidence you need to have these conversations.
0: Wow, that makes sense actually, and it can apply in everything. As you are talking, actually, I also am having an aha moment here <laughs> because now that's totally great, you know. Because what you say, you know, <laughs> there's no use to give a recipe to somebody who is afraid to get in the kitchen. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Totally, just a, it does make sense. Tell me, when did you realize who you are and what you are meant to do in life.
1: Well, I think a lot of times dissatisfaction and frustration are emotions that are signals that you're not on the right track. And a lot of times people will try to stifle those emotions. Let me just push that down and keep working. Or we distract ourselves with something else. Maybe it's uh, video games, um, useless entertainment, drugs, whatever. These are all distractions from the discomfort that we're feeling. So what I started to do was go deeply into um, introspection. Okay, I I'm feeling something, I'm going to jump right into this. I'm going to figure out what this thing is. Why am I feeling this way? What is it that I really want to do? And the question that I started to ask myself every day is what would I do if everything in the world was free? And when I started to think about that, it helped me to realize the things that I really care about, what really matters to me, what I enjoy doing. Because when you take the money out of it, then it's all about the 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 motivation. Like, okay. what do you want to do? What is the mark you want to leave on this world? Mm. And then I realized that as somebody who struggled in difficult conversations, I want to be that type of person who can help other people overcome the barriers that I did. Let me show you how to do that. And um, that's really the the main thrust of the the book. Nobody will play mm. with me, mm. um, because it it walks people through my journey of how I became a strong negotiator and had confidence in conflict um, from being a a people pleaser. And then I leave people with one technique. You know, when it comes to negotiation and conflict resolution, there is uh, an innumerable amount of negotiation and conflict resolution techniques and strategies that you can use. And I think a lot of other books have done a good job of of using it, but I wanted to leave people with a simple three-part framework that they they could use in every single difficult conversation, whether at work or at home, you could fall back on this three-part framework and get more out of your conversations, but not before you take the time to work on yourself first.
0: But where did you get this realization, though, that you have to work on yourself? Because it doesn't come naturally to people, right? As you said earlier, people just go into some kind of, um, you know, alcohol or all kind of negative, you know, way of distracting themselves rather than introspection. How did you figure out that you have to do the introspection?
1: Yeah. Oh, this is great because it, it leads into one of my other passions, which is reading. Uh Um, This is the way I think about it. Um, Imagine the smartest people in the world. They take after 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of living on this world and and accumulating all sorts of wins and avoiding failures and living through failures and and learning from them. They've taken all of their knowledge and they've put it into this thing called a book. (laughs) (laughs) And so what I want to do is I want to read as many of those things. Oh, sure. I say to myself, when I look at somebody and I admire them and they wrote a book and I read that book, then I absorb the best of them, mm. right? And so I want to do that all the time. So for me, my my goal is to read one book per week. Wow. Um, through One book per week. And when I go through these books, I take about... 20 pages of notes single space um because i (laughs) don't want to forget because the thing is when when you learn about psychology one of the things you learn about is memory and how absolutely terrible your memory is Uh wisdom is the accumulation of knowledge that you have and have been able to retain then for many people reading is a completely useless exercise (laughs) because they read and forget everything because I, I don't know about you, but before I started taking notes, mm. there were times I would read a book, love a book, and somebody would say, have you ever read that book? And three years later, I'm like, no, I don't no?
0: read that
1: book. <laughs> and then at the end of the conversation, I'm like, wait, I read that book. <laughs> yeah. What is the point? What is the point? So my, the way that I do this is I read, I, I go through audio books about oh. uh, at triple speed, uh, three, <laughs> uh, three times speed or 3.5 times speed. And um, I was able to do that because I had a friend who was blind, who became blind first year of university. Uh, so he had to learn how to be blind. And so he was mm. shadowing different professionals and he would realize that they wouldn't read, a lot of them wouldn't read using Braille. They would just mm. take the text and have the, the the computer or their cell phone read it to them because mm. it's a lot faster than Braille. And so mm. that's when I learned that your processing speed can increase with practice. Mm. So I went from one time speed, okay, 1.5, two, two, .53 Work my way up to it. And so since I'm listening to the audiobooks um, on my iPhone, there's a dictation button. So I have the notes application open, and I just press the dictation button when I want to take a note, and I speak the notes. Then I have another application that I use to read those notes to me. So every morning at about 5 a.m., when I'm getting ready for the gym, what I'm doing is reviewing the notes for some of the books that I read. And then for the rest of the day, when I have time, I am reading new books and creating new notes. Wow. So the vision in the morning helps to ensure that I don't forget. And the reading helps me to make sure that I'm acquiring new knowledge at all times. Yeah. So w- when it comes to figuring out how it was that I was able to look inside myself and, and figure out what it is I really wanted to do, is because I have the smartest people in the world, yep. whisper in my ear every day, <laughs> and they told me what to do.
0: Yeah, that is brilliant. But how do you, which app do you use to do this 3.5 uh, speed reading, actually? It's not on Audible, is it? Yes. Is it on Audible?
1: Yeah, Audible. Yep, Audible really? now has 3.5. It used oh, to count, I need to check that. But now it has 3.5. Mm. And um, another application that I like to use is OverDrive. And so the nice thing about OverDrive is that OverDrive links to your public library account. So the books that I get from OverDrive are... Free from the library.
0: Oh, okay. And can you link your Amazon account to that as well? Or is not? Uh,
1: not no. to overdrive. You just need to get a, a public library card mm-hmm. and then you search for the book that you want there.
0: Overdrive. Yeah. That's, I'll add that in the show notes. Yeah. That's great, actually. Yeah.
1: And the note, the, the app that I use for the notes yep. uh, to read me the notes is mm-hmm. uh, Voice Dream.
0: Voice trim. Wow. I love your technique actually, because I also now I you know, I, I can't do one week, one book per week. That was my intention, but <laughs> I haven't managed yet to do one book per week. What my technique is to open five books at the same time, but I know that is not effective. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I try to take notes as well because I also figure out that I forget ex- what actually I read in the book, even if I w- was excited, and after I forget what was the point again in the book, and is a yeah. great thing actually to note and uh, read that back to yourself which is the extra layer actually that you're doing. thank you for all those great tips <laughs> no, no, yes yeah, so tell me what did you struggle the most in life in general
1: Hmm. i would say so i have a son i have a three-year-old now um but dealing with infancy was tough because um for the first time i was just at the mercy of somebody else completely um in almost every single way (laughs) (laughs) i am i'm very particular about my time and how much time i can put into work and um i was my time was being monopolized and i since i was sleep deprived i wasn't operating at my best so that was a really tough period Mm. um thankfully it's a lot easier now but the Those difficulties, obviously, uh, whenever you're going through a difficult time, you learn a lot about yourself and you learn things that you like and you learn things that you don't like. And it taught me that my level of resilience to change wasn't as high as it needed to be. Um, When it comes to these different uh, difficulties that we have in our lives, it really comes down to um, acceptance versus resistance. Are you going to accept not in a a way where you're simply giving up? You're not, you're certainly not giving up, but there's some realities you just have to accept that, that are, that are real. And once you accept it, now you can uh, incorporate it into your new reality and make adjustments. Hmm. Okay, this is something else that I'm over, going to overcome. The way that I used to do things will not work anymore. Circumstances have changed and that's okay. And now I'm going to adjust. And yeah. so um, it helped me to be a little bit more adaptive. And so yeah. one of the books that I read was called Anti-Fragile, a really interesting um, uh, proposition because they say with, when it comes to resilience, resilience is your capacity to to survive, right? So if something bad happens and you, you're still here, I'm still here, that's good. That's great. Um, but when it comes to evolution and the advancement of society, it's not about resilience. It's about adaptability. So I don't want to be resilient. That's not good enough for me anymore. I want to be anti-fragile which means mm-hmm. something bad happens. And then not only do I survive, but I, I thrive at the end of it. Mm-hmm. It's, called, um, it it's, it's built off the concept of post-traumatic growth. So okay. something bad happens and it makes you better. Um, so that's always my goal. I, I, whenever something bad happens, I say to myself, well, how am I going to make this
0: better? Mm, that is very great a positive uh, way of thinking about life actually so um so wh- who uh, you know um sometimes i ask this question because i try to understand that we are often conditioned actually since the childhood you talked earlier about being people pleaser and things like that to please other people but again sometimes we actually keep into that mode or actually we try to rebel against whatever we've been conditioned to, where do you fit now within this spectrum of a uh, people pleaser or a rebel, or I'm sure now, now as a master negotiator, of course, you're going to give me a politically fine, uh, perhaps, you know, answer, but you know, in your, in your real life, which, which spectrum, which, um, you know, end of the spectrum do you tend to go towards? <laughs>
1: I would say I am, (laughs) you're going to love this. Um, I'd say I'm a people-pleasing rebel. So so here's the thing. Uh, I will do whatever I want to do. um, And because of my tendency, my natural tendency Mm. to want people to like me, even though I'm still going to do my own thing and kind of force myself to do my own thing and do what's Mm. best for me, even if it makes me feel uncomfortable, I'm going to do it in a way where people can still um, like me and respect me, mm. and even if they don't like me, at least they'll respect me.
0: Mm-hmm. And then if
1: they don't respect me, I don't care anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Which
0: one would you prefer, being liked or respected?
1: Definitely <laughs> respected. Uh,
0: <'cause> <laughs> and not being liked.
1: <laughs> and so I, I was the person who always liked to be liked, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but when it comes to being effective in what we want to accomplish in life, we need to be if, uh, respected. Right. That's the key right. because respect comes with a little bit of deference. You're more likely to get what you want if people respect you. Yes. Um, if people realize that not only are you a likable person, but you like to be liked it puts you in a position to be taken advantage of yeah. so if i know you like to be liked francine then then i'm not going to I, i'm going to walk all over you and be okay with it because you still want me to like you
0: yeah yes. push I get back. It. yeah get yeah yeah definitely yes that's very good <laughs> so when you look back at childhood how has it prepared you to be who you are today
1: Childhood was at the time there were some difficulties, but now I appreciate it. And I think that goes back to the message of anti fragility. Yeah. Uh, because I realize now I have the ability to connect with anybody. So my family's from the Caribbean. I had a really strong Caribbean accent growing up, but I grew up in a. Um, mid- Midwestern Ohio, uh, Midwestern, uh, the Midwest in the US, um, small town in Ohio. So essentially everybody around me was white. Um, So I was very different for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. But this upbringing helped me to connect with everybody. Mm -hmm. At home, I can connect with my family. At at school, I can connect with my friends. And then when I went to uh, Ohio State, um, I was introduced to new and different people, I was able to connect with everybody there. Um, growing up playing tennis, um, is it's a more um, diverse kind of group. Uh, you might say, oh, tennis diversity, but in mm-hmm. Ohio, it's um, a lot of people of um, asian and indian descent who who play tennis in ohio not just the people Mm -hmm. who are white americans Mm -hmm. so i was introduced to a lot of diversity in that regard and i studied abroad in latin america for an entire summer so Mm -hmm. now i speak spanish and connect Mm -hmm. uh, with people in that regard so the i i really realized that the diversity of experience that I I have growing up, I had growing up and continue to um, experience throughout my life, helped me to connect with people at a higher level. Mm. Um, And that is something that's been helpful to me personally and professionally.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. So what is one of the toughest moments perhaps you have in your life that actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise?
1: Um... I think when it came to my, when I graduated from school uh, and then I passed the bar exam. So I have three degrees and I am a licensed attorney. The, the bar exam here in the U.S. to become a lawyer is uh, in Ohio. It's a three day long test, um, <laughs> uh, 15 total hours. And if you don't pass, the only you only have one other, you only have two opportunities per year to take the test. So you're not a lawyer for a full six months. And if you pass or fail, it's put on, it's put publicly. Can see it. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. And I, I pass, I remember passing that test, going through all that work and then being sworn in, um, and sitting there asking myself, what do I want to be when I grow up? mm mm-hmm what do what am i doing
0: you <laughs> were not satisfied with me.
1: <laughs> no i was very lost because i knew like okay i wanted to do politics now i learned what politics really is i don't want to do that <laughs> uh, i have these degrees i want neither of them what do what do i do um what is it and so it was just like a lot uh, a couple years kind of spent in the wilderness (laughs) trying trying to figure out who i was what i wanted to be um but one thing that was helpful is that i would just follow my curiosity okay at this moment i'm interested in this let us let's explore this completely nope that's not it okay well hey i'm a lawyer i'm a licensed attorney i speak spanish maybe i Mm -hmm. should do immigration law let me learn as much as possible about this meet those people figure out what it's like no 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 not that not that at all and so so it's 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 constant experimentation constant experimentation Uh um and coming up with these hypotheses, testing the hypotheses, making an evaluation over the after the period of time, and then making adjustments. That's it. And and being willing to try something and fail uh, was was critical to me figuring out what it was that I wanted to do next.
0: Yeah. But how did you finally figure out that uh, you know uh, finally what did you pick after you know going through all those iterations? of uh, immigration law and all kind of going by elimination of, I don't know, how how did you end up to really select what you focused on after that? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, so there was a time where I, I had my own law firm working with small businesses, mm-hmm. and the thing that I would do to um, to get clients was I would put on free negotiation workshops. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know that you all are our businesses. I know that you uh, you have to negotiate, but most like most people. In the world, you were never taught how to negotiate. So, I'll put on this workshop and I'd use that as a tool to get clients. Then, mm-hmm. um, that's when I asked that question if, What would I do if everything in the world was free? And I said, I just do these negotiation workshops. Mm. I'm doing them to get clients. I don't really care about the legal work that comes after it, I just care about teaching people this. <laughs> and so, that's when I, I discovered that blend. Mm -hmm. Because even though as a lawyer and as a mediator, I do now enjoy having those difficult conversations, more so because of the challenge Mm -hmm. that it poses. I like overcoming that. Um, I realized that I am even more passionate about teaching people how to do it. Mm -hmm. That's where the drive comes from teaching. Um, and it wasn't until I tried out all of these different things that were at the time pretty scary, that I realized what it was that I wanted to do. So it, it led that that constant experimentation led to hyper evolution.
0: Yeah, great. <laughs> so what would you say is your superpower?
1: My superpower? Yeah. Um, this was a tough one. I think I think it would be evolution. I think that's it. Uh, Because now I realize that because of my love of learning, Mm -hmm. I feel as though I can learn whatever it is I need to succeed in whatever situation it is. And so if it's a business problem, okay, my next the next month will be dedicated to reading the best business (laughs) books I
0: can buy. At Uh, the three point five speed. (laughs) Exactly. I'm going
1: to devour these books. (laughs) If if it's a problem in my relationship, I am going to read relationship books. If it's a problem in parenting I am going to read parenting books. And so the, re- the, the thing that I think is my superpower is my ability to adapt, evolve, and get better.
0: Mm, that's wonderful so now let's talk uh, about money how do you manage to do both (laughs) what you love and get paid well for it i always ask this reason because usually people you know do a job that they love but you know are not paid very well for it or perhaps Mm -hmm. some people actually are paying tons of money but really don't like what they do how do we get how can we merge both you know not choosing whether we get paid well and have a meaningful work or better do both actually do you have any insight on how we can do that
1: I would go back to the the classic and probably overplayed example of having two circles. Uh, Uh, One circle has the thing that you love and the other circle has money. And Mm -hmm. so through constant experimentation, i try and find that overlap. And so I, again, a lot of experimentation. And I don't think I figured it out consistently until I was about two years in. So that's a lot of struggle Mm -hmm. until you figure that thing out. And so for me, I realized that my business strategy is focused on finding my highest hourly rate for my work. Mm -hmm. So what is the thing that gives me the most bang for my buck that I enjoy? And it's presenting, either presenting Mm -hmm. in terms of a workshop that's either three hours or all day long, or um, doing a keynote presentation. And so in the keynote presentation, um, it's probably 60 to 90 minutes, but it's a higher payday uh, because it's in front of more people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I realized that, then I decided, all right, now I'm going to focus exclusively on those things so even on my business card on my website you don't see coaching and consulting anymore even though those are things that i really enjoy doing i want people to focus on the thing that pays the most so if somebody comes and asks me hey can you coach me I'll say, yes, I'll still do that. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to advertise it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so by focusing and narrowing that focus on the highest dollar amount, um, activities, uh, that are in line with my interests, mm-hmm. uh, that's how I was able to, to move forward.
0: Yeah. You are quite lucky that those highly paid, um, gig were something you also enjoy. Sometimes those highly Paid, you know, opportunities are what we hate doing. Actually, you know, so I can think of some of those that I don't like doing, but you know, that are highly paid, but I really hate them. So, you know, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. So you know, it's really I get what you see. It's really fine tuning and see within the 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 realm of what you like, what is the highest paid in there. So then you can just focus on that, right? Good. Exactly. Super. So now let's talk about our last part, which is building a movement. Which movement are you building or would like you to lead?
1: Yeah, this is perfect timing again, because I was just <laughs> thinking about it. Well, what is the impact I want to have? Mm. And I really want to try and start a revolution of confident communicators. Because Whoa. like I said, it's, I'm uh,
0: in, count me in. <laughs> yeah, <thank> you. <laughs> you have your I'm first adept.
1: <laughs> yes, I love it. Yeah, because like I said, uh, the best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. I mm. want to equip people to have that best version of their lives. You know, and a lot of, the, I know a lot of the people who uh, listen to the podcast and have uh, have come to my workshops in different parts of the country, uh, they realize they're they're working on important things. They're working on things that matter, but there's just something in the way. There's something that is not breaking through. Why is it when I have really good ideas, none of my coworkers accept and adopt those ideas if I'm working on a team? Why is it that I'm not getting paid the way that I should? When when Steve over here sucks at what he does and makes more than me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I know some people like that too.
1: (laughs) Well, the difference is Steve knows how to talk. Steve Mm -hmm. knows how to negotiate. And we don't get in life what we deserve, we get what we ask for. And so I want to equip people with the skills to get what they deserve.
0: Wow. Are you going to do that across uh, the world or are you going to focus on the U.S.
1: only? (laughs) Well, the branding strategy with the American Negotiation Institute was to first build credibility internally and then build international credibility with people who want to do business with the U.S. Mm. That's the strategy. So it's inside out. Um, I like to travel. Mm-hmm. And so I want to have this as an opportunity to travel to different countries, meet new and exciting people and, and teach these skills outside of, of the borders of the United States.
0: Good, yeah. So you're going to tell us later your you know details and how people can com- contact you as well if you, they are interested to explore this. So uh, how do you want to be remembered for?
1: I want to be remembered as somebody who kept moving forward. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, somebody who didn't want to accept stagnation and was continually moving forward for the benefit of himself, his family, and, and the world. Mm-hmm. That's how I want to be remembered. And at this time, who knows, there's a lot of, there, hopefully, <laughs> there are a lot of years left. Yes. So who knows what it will be specifically. But I know that the thing that will get me there is constant progress. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm
0: Okay, cool. so now this is a very quick part a quick question and quick answer don't think too much about that just uh, share your the first answer that comes so what did you learn from all your experiences that you most want to transmit to others
1: Yeah, I think it's the fact that you can get better at whatever it is that that's in question either you can get better or you can at least create a strategy around it. Um, and that's something I always tell my son, Kai, whenever he is struggling with something, I'm like, oh, do you want to be better at this? And then he'll say, yes. How do you get better at this? Because I practice. And then whenever he does something well, I don't say, oh, Kai, you're so talented. Oh, Kai, you're so smart. I don't care. I don't want him to think those things uh, because those are that has to do with luck. Mm. I don't want him to think that he's born with any capabilities. <laughs> at all <laughs> so when when he when he does something well my praise is different i yeah. say kai how were you able to do that I, and he says because i practiced wow so constantly putting that in his head practice wow. can lead to improvement
0: that is fabulous cool so one, one what which one object would you take with you on a desert island <laughs>
1: <laughs> um i would Take it. Have to be my cell phone.
0: Your cell phone. Okay, so you can still have uh, access to some. Connection. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good. So, what do you regret having or not having done earlier in your life?
1: I regret not starting to read earlier.
0: Mm. Like
1: this, I was always reading. Mm. Um, I thought I was doing well. <laughs> with how much i was reading but they, there's always improvement oh. uh, that can be made um and so i wish i would have started reading at this level um in undergrad because the thing is i know i'm learning more than i ever did in school mm. and it's completely self-directed and um my goal every week is to feel really stupid at some mm-hmm. point. And mm-hmm. here's why. Because when you expose yourself to new levels of knowledge, it reveals the previous gap in knowledge that you had. Definitely. And if I'm not feeling that way, if I feel completely content with how knowledgeable I am, that means that I'm not growing. Yeah. And so every time I read something new, I, I say to myself, how was I fun- functioning? Without
0: this information. And, yeah. <laughs>
1: every time. So I, I think about the exponential growth that I missed yeah, out on. Yeah, not that's
0: wonderful. Right. So, what is your definition of meaningful work, meaningful life?
1: Impact. Mm-hmm. That's it. it. It has to be impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not having a, a significant positive impact on the people around you um then it's not meaningful then it's selfish self-driven so okay. i really want to make sure that everything that i do has a, a positive impact on the people uh, mm. that it touches
0: okay good any last piece of guidance that i haven't asked you that you might want to impart to our listeners to live a more meaningful life
1: i just say keep learning Mm-hmm. That's it. Keep listening listening to awesome podcasts like this. <laughs> um, if you have uh, more bandwidth, check out my podcast, Negotiate yeah. and um, But constantly expose yourself to new... Piece of, pieces of information. Um, consider what the, very, the, uh, the equation E versus E means to you. So education versus entertainment. What yeah. is the ratio? It needs yeah. to be significantly balanced in terms of education. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, especially with a 24-hour news cycle, there's a lot of um, entertainment that is masquerading around as education. Mm. um and so you have to be very mindful of what your mind is consuming and mm. only things that move you forward
0: yeah, super. Can you share some resources that our listeners should absolutely know about um to live a meaningful work and live a meaningful life
1: yes, yeah, so my podcast yeah uh, um and then also my book nobody will play with me um mm-hmm. how to use compassion and Curiosity to find yeah. confidence and conflict um if people are interested in getting more in-depth knowledge on this, um, I have an online course or you could invite me to your company. I also do webinars, uh, which is helpful for people who are abroad as well. Mm. Um, and then uh, the TED Talk. And I can send yeah. you links to yeah. all of
0: them. Yeah, too. and I'll, I'll link all those things under the show notes and then people can access them and, uh, you know, uh, yes, and contact you. So how exactly people can reach you and learn more about how you know uh, about you and your work.
1: Yeah, LinkedIn the is the best a great way. Resource. LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, LinkedIn, I'm
0: I'm pretty active.
1: That's how we met. That's
0: how we <laughs> met, LinkedIn. LinkedIn yeah, is okay. great. That's where I meet a lot of people on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: so yeah. LinkedIn. That, that's probably the best way. And the best uh, way. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, <laughs> Kwame, for <laughs> your wisdom uh that you share in this podcast. It was uh, fabulous, really great to have you and you know to share all your wisdom.
1: Fantastic. Thank you for inviting me, Francine. I appreciate it.
0: What was your key takeaway from this episode? What are you committed to do today to find more meaning in your work and live a more meaningful life? If you are ready to build a meaningful personal brand to create a business or a career you love, I'd love to hear from you. Book a strategic call. At slash call call. The show notes of this episode of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life are available on my webpage, francinebeley.com slash podcast, with all the references and resources shared on the show. Once you are there, leave a message in the comment section to let me know about your key takeaway from this episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to show your love and support, subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app where you are listening to this podcast and leave me a five-star review. It will take you a minute, but It will mean a lot to me and help me spread this message to many, many more people. Thank you for listening to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast. The show that empowers you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. I will see you next week for another thought-provoking episode of this season 3. Until then, dream, act, and make an impact. Lots of love.